Hello, college football fans. Keith Jackson here. You know, when I'm not calling a game up in the big house, I like to spend my time listening to my favorite podcast, A Bowl Full of Chips with Cheppy and the Bip. It doesn't matter if you're a USC fan or Nebraska or even following my Cougars up in the Palouse or maybe the Seminoles down in Tallahassee. A bowl full of chips gives you all the information you need, and whoa, Nelly, do Chappie and the Bip know what they're talking about. Tune in to A Bowl Full of Chips on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Celebrity voice impersonated. Bomb bombits, a bowl full of chips. Bomb bombits, with Chappie and the Bip. Bomb bombits, two young brothers. Bomb bombits, talking college football. Bomb bombits, and life and humor. Bomb and some funny ass clips. So relax and unwind. With a bowl full of chips. Buenos dias a todos y bienvenidos a otro episodio de un tezón lleno de chips con chapi y el bip. Sorry, that was to welcome any Hispanic listeners we have to this podcast. Bip, how the heck are you? Ay, 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 I'm doing fantastico. <laughs> bueno. <laughs> <laughs> no, not too bad. Um, day was fine. Enjoyed some uh, nice NFL playoff action. Advanced in my still going fantasy football league. And uh, things are looking good. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, here on Bowl Full of Chips, we, we love college football, as you probably know by now. Some of you, hopefully you are loyal listeners after five episodes. <laughs> <laughs> we also love to laugh. And Bip and I, we love our share of fast food. Isn't that right, Bip? Yeah. You know, I, I started the uh, keto diet last week, which is nice because I can eat almost all the meat and cheese I want. However, I saw that the Chalupa $5 box is back at Taco Bell and I, I nearly cried knowing that I can't have it. So uh, l- let me ask you a question. Have you ever gone to multiple fast food places to pick up items for the same meal for yourself? Because I have and I'm both ashamed and have no regrets at the same time. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, there's, there's absolutely no shame in that. In fact, I, I, I think you can throw out the word shame when it comes to your eating habits, because if, <laughs> if you're happy, then, uh, then all's good. <laughs> so do you have a favorite fast food or a fast food place, Bip? Um, usually whatever tastes good and is cheap. Uh, um, it kind of just goes with the day. I, I sure. will say that I'm, uh, kind of, my my top two uh, most frequently visited are probably Mickey D's and Taco Bell, but uh, gotta throw in uh, some Jimmy John's and uh, some Burger King uh, every now and then. Yep, yep. You you hit on most of my favorites. You know, some smaller <laughs> ones here and there, but uh, yeah, by and large, if you can give me a burger, fries, tacos, nachos, anything that's got grease and is probably not recommended by most doctors, then then I'm good with it. Yeah, any hangover food is uh, cures oh. any ailment that I have. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, um, yeah, I. It's funny, fast food. It, it it makes me laugh when I see people who will try and rationalize why they're eating fast food, or <laughs> they will they'll have a three stacked burger and a large fry, but 
but then they'll get a Diet Coke as if that's going to cancel everything else out that they've just put down their gullet. Yeah, yeah. Or, or they'll, like you mentioned, they'll get the uh, the triple meat burger, but they'll, they'll just go for the small fry because, right. you know, they don't need those extra calories. No, exactly. Yep. I, I, I got to be a little bit tame here. Sure. Yeah. And, and I got to say that I, I have gorged myself plenty of times at a fast food place, but I go there knowing that I'm not making a healthy choice. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I I always cringe when when I remember the the guy who... I want to say it was about 15 years ago, had the cojones to sue the fast food places like Wendy's and Little Caesars and McDonald's because he didn't know that he was going to become an obese, overweight, unhealthy son of a gun. And it's like, dude, you can see your hand on the bottom of your fry bag because it's been greased all the way through. Do you really think that this is going to be good in your arteries? You really think that you're not going to walk out of there with a couple belt loops uh, expanding? Yeah. And I, I enjoy Morgan Spurlock and a lot of his documentary work, but is there any more obvious documentary than super, super size me? Yeah. I mean, he went through a, a, air quote experiment of getting eating McDonald's every single day for a month and getting a supersize anytime they asked him for it. What the hell did he expect? <laughs> yeah, right. And and I uh I literally felt sick when I saw him feeling sick on TV. So yeah, that's always my reminder that okay, I don't need McDonald's or Burger King for lunch and dinner and a midnight snack. Two out of three maybe, but not all yeah. three. So right, right. <laughs> So, yeah, today on the bowl full of chips, we are going to get into some some pretty interesting things. Now that the season's done, you know, shed a tear, we're going to kind of look back at college football in 2018. And uh, before we do that, though, I do want to throw out where you can find us on our podcast. Obviously, you're listening right now, but if you're on a platform that might be a little bit inconvenient after we've sent it out on the Twitter sphere, you can find Bowlful of Chips on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Breaker, and there's going to be more coming in, we're told, in the next couple of days. So as soon as we find that out, we'll certainly put it out on Twitter and let you know where it might be most convenient. Hopefully, it's just a matter of you can download it and it automatically updates and you can tune in for your listening pleasure. Uh, I am currently on Twitter at the Twitter handle underscore, I'm sorry, at, at champion underscore lit i can talk at 10 12 at night uh so again that's i'm chappy that's at champion underscore lit and bip tell people where they can find you on twitter they can find me at bfc underscore bip so bfc underscore bip and just so everybody knows, the BFC, BFC stands for bowl full of chips. So don't start coming up with any wacky, uh, obscene, inappropriate uh, substitutions for those three letters in the initials. So yeah, yeah, I'm really worried about the BF part at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So 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 p- please be kind. Yeah, he is married uh, to a to a <laughs> lovely woman. Just so you know, <laughs> um, we do want to give a Twitter shout out. We're going to try and do this on all of our podcasts, and this one this week goes out to somebody who 
honestly, I wish that I knew a little bit better, but this this is Phil Steele. You can find him at PhilSteele42. That's again, at PhilSteele, S-T-E-E-L-E, 42. And for anybody who is half of a college football fan, you know who he is. Chances are you probably have at some point in your college football viewing life purchased one of his great magazines. He's known as having the Bible of college football. It's thicker than some of my textbooks that I got in college. And honest to God, if I could have taken a college football class and I would have bought this textbook for everyone in the class, it's awesome. So give it a look. Give him a follow on Twitter if you already don't. He's a man. He's the legend of college football magazines. And I personally have been collecting them since 2002. So yeah, you actually introduced me to uh, Phil Steele's college football preview. And I was floored when I first saw it all the information that's in there and the fact that he needs to abbreviate just about everything so that he can fit in all that information is really a testament to how much he knows, how much is contained in there. And once the college football season's done, you can always go back and look at it. And once you're done looking at it, it makes for a great paperweight because the thing's about five pounds. Yeah, it is. It is. And full disclosure, a lot of the information that we will reference on here from prior seasons comes from the Phil Steele publication. And as we get into the late part of summer and early part of August and September, we'll be going from that publication and and drawing the numbers from there. So Phil, you do a great job. Hopefully you're listening to this at some point. That's our little fantasy. So uh, keep up the good work, my man. So we're going to get into college football 2018 review, and there was there was some parody this year, wasn't there, Bip? Yeah, um, definitely some shakeups and um, some surprises, and lots of diversity, which is you know it's nice to have diversity. The hell is diversity? Well, I could be wrong, but I believe diversity is an old old wooden ship that was used during the Civil War era. Why the hell would we want to talk about a old wooden ship from the Civil War on this podcast? Oh, I get it. You were referencing Anchorman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was our lame attempt at at humor, ladies and gentlemen. But if you've seen the the movie, at least that brought a chuckle out of you. Burgundy did it a lot better. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're still we're still new to this. So uh, yeah, that's right. Like. Yep. New to it, not nude to it. (laughs) So what we mean is we're going to look at this year's most pleasant surprises. And by that, we're talking teams that did more than most thought that they could or maybe that they should. And we're also going to look at the, the biggest disappointments, or in other words, the teams that did a lot less than what they were expected to do. And so Bip and I are going to give three from each side, and we're going to go through every conference because we like to cover everything national in this podcast. We don't want to leave anybody out. And sometimes it's fun to talk both good and bad about some of the group of five teams because as alumnus from Central Michigan University in the great Mount Pleasant area in in mid-Michigan, our own CMU Chippewas fall into that category, Bip, so we want to try and throw out some Mac love. Absolutely. Go Maxion. That's right. So we're going to start, and I'm going to go to you first, Bip. Let's look at our pleasant surprises this year in college football. So hit us off with uh, your 3-2-1. Number three, uh, UAB comes in. Um, This is a school that was uh, no longer playing the game of football a few years ago. Brought the program back, and they're definitely a team on the upswing. Went 11-3 and this year. They lost to Texas A&M, which was 
excusable. They also yeah. lost to Middle Tennessee State um, in their last um, their last game of the season, but avenged that uh, Middle Tennessee State game by beating them in the conference championship game. And their yep. their third loss was kind of inex- inexplicable, a, uh, a loss to a five and seven Coastal Carolina team by twenty three points. But that was their second game of the season, so they really improved as the season went on. And um, I, I I give a lot of credit to them with what they're working with. Um, just just an amazing job that was done. Really interested to see how they continue this moving into next season. Um, my number two team uh, was Army. Um, I'm sure they were a lot of people's surprise team this year finishing 11 and two, they lost their first game of the season to Duke. Um, but they committed two of their only eight turnovers of the entire season in that game. So tough to overcome that, especially, uh, when you run the offense that army does, when you turn the ball over, it's almost a death sentence to you. Um, then they lost to, and I remember, and I remember watching that game too, uh, prepping for, the Duke game because Northwestern who I covered and, and you can follow me on wildcat report, but we, uh, we were looking at that game and Duke just played a, almost a flawless game against army. So it wasn't that army looked like a bad team in that game. They just played a, a Duke team that was just on their a game that day. Yeah. And Duke really played extremely well at the beginning part of the season. They had a good season overall, but they really played well, uh, to start their season off. So, sure. um, understandable first game of the season army comes out a little rusty um but then their second loss a loss by only seven in overtime to oklahoma a game which was only televised via pay-per-view with the genius idea that was brought up um i believe that's the fox network or the big 12 network Uh, whoever came up with that harebrained idea uh didn't allow the masses to see that uh that game (laughs) <laughs> I was so frustrated. I was like I'm trying I was scrambling like where the hell is this game at? And again, looking on Twitter, everybody was upset saying, "Oh, good thing I have to pay money to see one of the best games of college right. football this year." But I digress. <laughs> yeah. So, um you know, really looked impressive there. Uh like I mentioned, finished the season 11 and 2. The only asterisk that that kept me from putting them at number 1 is on their schedule they played Liberty, San Jose State, Lafayette, uh yeah. Col- Colgate and even Navy was only 3 and 9 this year. Um right. so Lafayette and Colgate being FCS teams, San Jose State only had one win. Um but I mean that that was all made up for with their their near flawless game against um, Houston, mm-hmm. winning as impressively as they did. Army's got a boatload of talent coming back next year. I think we've mentioned a couple times they only have two guys that are graduating from their two deep, um, yep. so they're going to be a very tough opponent going into next season, playing with a lot of swagger um, that the uh, the cadets don't normally have. So. That they were my number two team, which leads me to my number one, which would be the Syracuse Orange. Um, now, this is a team that went four and eight last year under Dino Babers, uh, weren't given a lot of credit going into the season, and they were one of the few bright spots in the ACC. They lost to Clemson by only four, and granted, that was with uh, Trevor Lawrence exiting the game, but as you saw in the national championship game, Clemson's got plenty of firepower to overcome that loss. Uh, Mm -hmm. So the fact that they only lose by four in that game was nothing short of spectacular. They also lose to Pitt in overtime, and then they were smashed by Notre Dame. But uh, starting quarterback Dungy went out 
early in the first quarter, and you have to think that it would have been a little bit closer than 36 to three had he been able to stay in the game. Um, so losing to two playoff teams and the ACC Coastal champ going from four and eight to 10 and three, the Syracuse Orange should be a team to look out for next year. And Dino Babers, um, if they have another successful season, he will be on the short list of coaches to watch for marquee job openings um, after the 2019 season. For sure. Now, when you said that they got smashed by Notre Dame, I can't see you right now, but I can already tell you had a little bit of a, a grin on your face and a twinkle in your eye at that one. Yeah, and that grin might be a little shit-eating. So, um, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, yeah it, that, was a, an impress- that was an impressive game to win. That was um, when Notre Dame needed to have style points as their jerseys yep. did not give them any. Um, while they looked ugly in their uniforms, they looked, uh, uh, very fashionable (laughs) on the field. So, uh, that was my top three, uh, Chappie, who did you come away with pleasantly surprised with this year? Well, in the, in the spirit of Mount Pleasant. So my Mount Pleasant surprises this year, I, my number three was your number one, the Syracuse orange they're, this was the first time they've had 10 wins in a season since 2001. So that's 17 years for all of you math-challenged people. Um, they were 12th in scoring offense. They had 4th in turnover margin, so they protected the ball, and they could score points, which you kind of knew with the Dino Babers offense. They were the 10th most experienced team in the ACC out of 14 teams. They only returned 42 lettermen, and they were picked by most people to finish last in their division of the ACC. So for them to go and finish second only behind a team named Clemson, that was pretty darn good. They could run the ball. They finished 27th in the country in rush offense. Um, And you look again, 10 wins, that's almost three times as much as they've had, or that's almost as many games as they've won in the last three years combined. So what Babers did in such short time and such short turnaround. And remember last year, one of their four wins was against Clemson. So, uh, you know, not only did he do it this year, but he started to make some glimpses last year. Two of their losses, as you referenced, came by one score. One of them was in overtime, and that was a game against Pitt. And they had two losses to top three teams, Notre Dame and Clemson. So even in the games that they dropped, Syracuse looked really good this season. My number two team was the Washington State Cougars. And kudos to Mike Leach. He has now won 11 games with two different schools. And I tried looking it up. There's not a lot of guys who have done that. Um, But he did it in Lubbock, Texas, and now he's done it in Pullman, Washington, two places where seemingly it's very difficult to recruit talent, and there's not a lot of attraction other than the universities in that area. So for him to go 11-2 and this year was pretty remarkable. And if I had told you, Bip, at the beginning of the season that a team would have the second worst rushing offense in the country but win 11 games, you might scratch your head and say, Tell me more. How the heck could that be? Well, that's exactly what Wazoo did. And how do they do that? Well, they obviously threw the ball very well. Gardner Minshew came in, and I'm convinced now. I was skeptical to beginning, but I'm convinced that Mike Leach can take almost anybody and turn them into an all-conference quarterback. So, Bip, if you have any years of eligibility left, you might want to uh, pick a, dra- a grad transfer and go out to Pullman, Washington, because Leach could could do wonders for you. Yeah, and I think if you were to pose a question to Leach at the beginning of the year of a team would have 11 wins and have the second worst rushing offense in the country, he may have said, well, that sounds like us. 
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, aside from, from that, aside from the fact that they weren't picked to do well, uh, they, you know, they didn't have a great season last year. Uh, or I'm sorry, they, they had a, a mediocre season last year, but they lost a lot of guys. And tragically, they lost the guy who was supposed to be their starting quarterback, Tyler Helinski. And so going through that and going through a lot of turnover, um, they were the least experienced team in the Pac-12. And I'd have to look it up, but they may have been the one of the least experienced teams in the entire country coming back in terms of returning Letterman. You go through that that horrible ordeal that the team had to uh, deal with the tragedy of, of Halinski and then they come back and they, they go 11 and two. And I loved watching the snow game against Washington and the apple cup, but my heart broke a little bit to see them not win. And that's sadly still going to be the thing that defines Mike Leach as a head coach. There is, can you beat Washington? He hasn't done it yet. Um, or at least in, in recent memory. So, but they had a top 50 defense and that was the biggest uh, trade around this year. And little side note, I, I'm a little bit surprised that Oklahoma went after a guy like Alex, Alex Grinch, who left Washington State to go to Ohio State, didn't have as good a year. Why wasn't anybody looking at Tracy Clays to come in and be on their defensive staff as their coordinator? He did an outstanding job with that Wazoo defense this year. Yeah, totally agree. And then my number one, was a team that surprised me week after week after week, even in some of the games that they lost. And that's the Kentucky Wildcats. UK went 10 and three this season. They were ranked for nine consecutive weeks. This is the best season that they've had in 41 years, which convinced or con- coincidentally is Josh Allen's Jersey number. And he was a big reason for such a turnaround and such success this year. Obviously Benny Snell on the offensive side as well, running the football, but this was their first bowl win since 2009. Um, they were in the bottom half of the SEC in most defensive categories last year, and this year they were one of the conference's best. And we all know that that's a conference that prides itself on nasty, aggressive defenses. But they beat Florida. They they hung fairly tough with Georgia. A lot of people will say that no, Georgia controlled that whole game. But you know, most impressive to me was how they went out in the Citrus Bowl and they beat a pretty good Penn State team. And really, they they controlled that game from start to finish, in my opinion. Um, so to go from one of the least experienced teams in the SEC to going ten and three and winning in the swamp for the first time in forever and beating Missouri, who was a pretty good team. Um, they, they played in tough places and I think they earned the respect of a lot of people, not only in that conference, but in the entire country. Yeah. And, um, a, a great job done by Mark Stoops. He has never had fewer wins, uh, at Kentucky than the previous year as he's gone two wins, five wins, five wins, seven wins, seven wins. And there was a lot of talk about him the past two years as, is he on the hot seat? Um, what, what's his job status at the end of the season? And my thought every time was, look at how he's recruiting. Look at how he's kind of turning around the culture in Kentucky to it, not being only just a basketball school. And who else can you get that would be better suited for Kentucky uh, football at this particular time? And the fact that the Kentucky Athletic Department has been so patient with this turnaround is really a credit to Mm -hmm. them as, as it absolutely paid off this year. Yeah, and it's going to be extremely difficult for him not just to beat his win total next year and continue that trend, but even just to match it. I mean, 10 wins again next year is going to be 
pretty difficult considering that he loses really the two best players on that team, but they do return their quarterback. They do return Lynn Bowden Jr., who, man, that guy is lightning in a bottle at wide receiver and at kick returner. Uh, but they've laid the foundation defensively, and they had a pretty good recruiting class this year. So in a in a upcoming podcast, Bip and I are going to look at some of the teams heading into next year at a an early look at the top 25, and we'll see if Kentucky's there. So what about disappointments, Bip? Uh, it's easy to look at the teams who pleasantly surprised, but there are some fan bases who are not too happy and consider their team an extreme disappointment. So who do you give as your three disappointments? Go give us your 3-2-1 on that side. Number three, I'm going to go the Wisconsin Badgers. Um, or should I say Bia- the, the Badgers? Badgers. Um, <laughs> preseason number four, they actually got one first place vote in the AP the only other teams receiving first place votes for Clemson and Alabama. Um, and they got the kiss of death, Lee Corso picking them to win the national championship. So <laughs> we should have known that their season was a sinking ship from that. Moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, they finished the season eight and five. Um, defensively, they were semi middle of the pack. They finished uh, 43rd in points allowed per game. Offensively though, they only hit, they finished 62nd in the nation and points per yeah. game. Um, and what was, was really uh, holding them back the entire season. They actually finished 119th in the nation in passing yards per game. Now, granted, they still have the amazing running game and that offensive line. They had uh, three, all big 10 first team selections and one second, all big 10 selection. So given the fact yeah. that you have such a good uh, running game, you have an unbelievable offensive line in front of you. There really shouldn't have been any reason as to how they were so inept at throwing the football, but that was their mm-hmm. that was their arbitros the entire season. Uh, this was a team that went out and underperformed week in and week out. They got smashed against their best opponents, losing some surprises like the game against BYU. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot needs to be answered going into next season, um, given the fact that they lose some of those uh, those marquee offensive linemen. So yeah, go ahead. Well, and, and anybody who saw the uh, I, I don't know what it's called anymore. It used to be the Army All-America game, but Graham Mertz, their incoming freshman quarterback, who I believe starts classes this week. Many Wisconsinians are clamoring for him to upseat. Uh, Alex Hornerbrook and become the starter from day one next year. And I want to caution them on that because Mertz only completed half of his passes in that game. And, and at least a couple different uh, passes that he threw, the receivers were wide open. So I want to, you know, it's not easy stepping in as a grain of salt. Yeah. Want to, you know, caution them that it's not that easy to step in and and take over a veteran's uh, job, especially when you have an offense that's all about ball control and moving the moving the ball efficiently down the field, um, I understand the need for wanting to insert a uh, a hot um, hot shot freshman quarterback into the mix, but we'll see what uh, spring and fall practices have for them. My uh, number two, I kind of cheated a little bit, and I put the entire Pac-12 uh, was my disappointment. Um, uh, <laughs> No, that's not cheating. That's outside the box, man. I like that. Um, you know, they they had the the blue bloods that came through uh, Washington, Oregon, Stanford, USC. They all underachieved. Um, Stanford and Oregon mm-hmm. had nine wins each, but 
much higher expectations were had for them. And if anyone watched that snoozer of a bowl game uh, between Oregon and Michigan State, you can see what culminated um, in Eugene this season. Well, and probably the second most boring bowl game was Stanford. Yeah. <laughs> so there you have two Pac-10 or Pac-12 teams that uh, really did a lot for uh, people with, with sleep deprivation. <laughs> yeah. And then um, a couple teams that uh, had good uh, head coaching hires that came into the season, Arizona and UCLA, they both laid an egg. Arizona, um, Khalil Tate vastly underperformed compared to his expectations uh, especially with Kevin Sumlin coming in. I thought that he was really going to pick up where he left off last season. He only had 224 rushing yards this year compared to over 1,400 last year. So how he wasn't yeah. utilized with his legs more more frequently is beyond me when you compare uh, previous quarterbacks under Kevin Sumlin. Uh, had me scratching my head. UCLA going 3-9 and nine under Chip Kelly. I really thought that he would hit the ground running um, despite the, the talent did you really? <laughs> Despite the uh, talent deficiency, um, you know, at, at UCLA, I thought that they were good for more than three wins this season. Yeah. Colorado five and seven after starting off five and zero oh, was kind of an embarrassment for them. Yeah, that was that was not good, and it all started, I think, when they blew. I think. I think it was a 31-point lead they blew at home against Oregon State, who only won two games this season. Yeah. So I think that was the beginning of the fall and the exit for Mike McIntyre. But, yeah, that was that was almost sickening to mm-hmm. see. And USC only going 5-7. and seven. I really thought Clay Helton was going to lose his job this year. Now they, they, they enter the season with a true freshman quarterback starting. But as Clemson showed, if you have the talent around them, it can make up for a lot of – Rookie mistakes. Um, not that JT Daniels is on the same level as Trevor Lawrence, but really expected no. more. They have one of the best uh, resu- uh, groups of receivers in the country. And, you know, USC is always loaded full of talent. Injuries aside, I thought that they were better. They should have been better than a 5-7 and seven football team. They just collapsed in just about every f- uh, single game where they had the lead this year. Um, so mm-hmm. inexcusable for them. So the Pac-12 was really, really a stinker this year for me. Um, Okay. And that leads me to my number one bad surprise, and I think you and I might be on the same page here, potentially, the Louisville Cardinals. Um, I mm. cannot believe how bad they were. Um, they they lose uh, Lamar Jackson, sure, but you would think that they were the Texas State Colts, or um, the... Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the the team from Necessary Roughness having lost every scholarship player uh, going into this. Yeah, season. Texas Armadillos. Yes. Texas State yes, Armadillos. Thank, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Uh, they lost um, uh, They lost their last nine games of the season this year. The only loss that they had uh, that was less than 18 points was a four-point loss to a very bad Florida State team. And their only mm-hmm. two wins were to Indiana State and FCS team and a 3-9 and nine Western Kentucky team. They had right. the 120th ranked team, according to ESPN's overall efficiency rankings. They finished 122nd in points per game, 128th in points per game given up, and their minus 12 turnover margin was good for 125th in the nation. So they come away with a lot of stats that would be that of a Sunbelt team that played in a Power 5 conference really a, yeah. a bad look for a team that has been really uh, pretty successful um, over the last 20 years and a team that recruits much better than a two and 10 football team with only one win against an FBS opponent. 
So that was uh, yep. that was how I came away with uh, some of the teams that left a, a bad taste in my mouth uh, this year. How about you? Um, who surprised you in a poor way in the 2018 season, Chappie? Yep, the throw-up-in-my-mouth teams that we're going to go with this year. I'm going to start with number three for me was your number one, Louisville. Okay. And let me preface my my picks by saying these are teams that I really expected them to at least be bowl teams, and in some cases maybe better than that. And obviously they were not, and, and they just laid a big stinker. So Louisville, you alluded to a lot of this. They finished 2-10 and ten with very weak wins. Their average margin of victory in their losses this year, BIP, 35 points. And I only know that because I did the math. I I would love to see the average margin of victory for all 129 teams, but I have to bet that that's got to be in the top three. I mean, that's just poor, poor. When you're losing nine games and you're losing them by an average of 35 points, you're giving up an average of five touchdowns more than you're scoring. That's just sickening. Yeah. And, and coming from experience of being a fan of a team that was of a defense that was led by Brian Van Gorder, I can say I'm not surprised, (laughs) but my goodness, that is just embarrassing. (laughs) Yeah. So where do you think he's going to end up next year? KFC or Popeye's? Uh, (laughs) What state was Napoleon Dynamite filmed in? Um, I I think he's going to show up with an orange van somewhere and try to football over some mountains. (laughs) Yep, that's right. Quarter of a mile. (laughs) Good old Uncle Rico. Yep. Gotta be with you, man. Um, So, yeah. And, you know, I picked Louisville because they were picked by some to finish in the top three in the Atlantic Division of the ACC. And when I did my picks at the beginning of the season, I pegged them in with a question mark saying, okay, they could be an eight-win team. They could be a team to surprise and maybe compete for the Atlantic division. And boy, am I glad that I crossed that out and did not make that prediction because that would have completely illegitimized anything that I've ever said. So um, offensively, they were in the bottom 10 in most offensive categories. And we're talking in the nation. We're not talking in the ACC. We're talking bottom 10 in the country in offensive categories, defensively in the bottom five. So, again, uh, that speaks to how far Brian Van Gorder has fallen. And, Bip, you're going to see a common theme with my three disappointing teams, and that's undisciplined play. You referenced that they were 125th in turnover margin. They were also 119th in penalty yards per game. So. Not only were they getting rid of the ball, but they were or giving up the ball. They were also shooting themselves in the foot. So it's it's a wonder that these guys could walk at the end of the season. So Louisville is my number three team. Number two, I have the USC Trojans. So again, we're we're a little bit two for two in that category. So I just focused on them, and and I agree with you. The Pac-12 was a conference of uh, disappointment and underachievement this year. But if you look at USC, there were some who were picking them not only to win the Pac-12 South, but to maybe win the Pac-12 altogether. And I had a feeling that once they were breaking in a new quarterback, regardless of how good he was, uh, you know, there's it's not just playing Division One college football. It's that L.A. scene. There's a lot of distraction at SC. And sometimes it can be good distraction, but if you don't use it the right way, it's obviously a negative distraction. So they had trouble scoring points this year. Their rush offense was 104th in the NCAA, and that's just, you don't have that from a USC team. In fact, they're known, I believe, Bip, aren't they, as tailback U? I mean, 
you go to USC to be a running back and to go to the NFL. So for them to be 104th in the nation in rush yardage per game, that was astounding. They were very bad at converting third downs. Um, and they had, you know, they were also undisciplined. They were 125th in, or 126th in turnovers. They were the 123rd worst penalized team in the country in terms of penalty yards per game. And then defensively, they just couldn't take the ball away. They were okay defensively, but they just couldn't get momentum on their side. They allowed teams to march down and march down and then eventually get points. And obviously they got more points than their offense did. However, a little bit of a breath of fresh air and a glimmer of hope for USC fans for next year. They had four losses by one score or less. So that five and seven record could have easily flipped around to a, a, a nine and three season. So they weren't a, a bad team, but the fact that they went from potential conference champ to a five and seven team that didn't make a bowl. I agree with you. I'm really surprised that Clay Helton kept his job and it'll be interesting to see who he gets as his offensive coordinator uh, my money is on somebody maybe like Major Applewhite or uh, a couple of the other higher profile guys that are out there that are available right now. Um, any of your thoughts on that, Bip, who who might be landing in that well, spot? I had uh, joked with you off the air that maybe uh, Sark would be welcomed back because that seems to be his home away from home. But he got snapped up right. by the Crimson Tide, so he seems to have a lifetime pass at both universities. Outside yeah. of that, I'm not particularly sure uh, as a Notre Dame fan, I'm really hoping that they go with an underwhelming hire. I'm more interested to see how, um, you know, they, they respond from the Kingsbury debacle as it's just another uh, awful ending to an already embarrassing season that they lose out on a, on a coordinator after having him for only a few weeks. So not sure where they're yeah. where they're turning. I thought that that was a home run hire in Kingsbury. Unfortunately for them, they weren't able to hang on to him. Uh, but I would assume that right. they're going to be swinging for the fences again, regardless of who they go with. Sure, sure. So we'll see for USC next year. And again, in our early top twenty-five assessment and maybe some of our picks we'll see if we think usc is a team that can rebound next year or if it's still another year of transition they do have a pretty good recruiting class coming in we'll get to that another time and then my number one team bip was florida state now this team was number one to me with a bullet because they also stunk it up almost as bad as Louisville did. They had seven losses by an average score of 24 points. And that's still a lot that you're losing by. Their offensive line this year was terrible. And you think if they had a halfway decent group up front, DeAndre Francois, man, that guy can spin it. He, he's he got a cannon for an arm. The ball just comes out so tight. But uh, his receivers had some issues with drops this year. Their offensive line couldn't block. And what was even more surprising for me was Cam Akers. Where was he this yes. season? He was somebody who many picked, and I think Phil still even picked him as his Heisman candidate. That guy, you never heard his name and Heisman after week one. And uh, you know, I, I didn't even look up his numbers because I didn't want to cause any more embarrassment for the university or for him individually. But I mean, you look offensively, Willie Taggart, their head coach, was brought in. He was supposed to be an offensive guy. They were 112th in points per game. They were 109th in yards per play and 128th, second from last in third down conversions. That's just not going to do it for you. Fortunately for them, they did get a home run hire and bring in 
Kendall Bryles as their offensive coordinator, the guy who was at Baylor uh, when they were tearing up the charts. And then most recently he was at the University of Houston, his alma mater. So good get for Taggart and the uh, administration to bring him in. But between you and I, Bip, and, and our listeners now, obviously, I really think that they're in the process of looking for the next home run. I don't see Willie Taggart sticking there unless he goes undefeated, runs the table this year, and proves that this 5-7 and seven season was a complete anomaly. Yeah, and it, just seeing Florida State, they seemed like they gave up easily. Uh, if they faced any adversity throughout the season in mm-hmm. any game, their players were quick to give up in the game. Um, it, yeah. seeing them on the, the cold sideline and the, the Florida state Notre Dame game, their players didn't seem like they had any interest of in being on the field. It was more so how quickly can we get out of this blistering cold and into the locker room? Um, yep. something to note acres and their other, uh, five-star back, uh, Jaquiz Patrick, they, uh, were both ineffective this year, but at some point in the season, I had heard a stat that uh, they were amongst the worst in the country in yards before contact, telling you that the Florida State offensive line was really ineffective, didn't give them much of a of an opportunity, and then uh, same, same goes for Francois. A lot of um, a lot of non-cohesion it seemed like within that Florida State locker room both uh as the teammates felt towards Francois and just in general and this reminds me a lot of when um Charlie Strong headed to University of Texas I liked the hire at that time and Charlie Strong was doing a lot you always heard about him getting the wrong guys out getting the right guys in I think Taggart's in the process of doing that right now I just don't think he's going to be given enough time because this seems like it's going to be a complete overhaul at Florida State, regardless of how well they recruit, how well they've they've recruited in the past, what coordinators they bring in. I'm with you. I don't think Taggart sees – I I don't think he's still in Florida State uh, uniform past the 2020 season unless the unforeseen happens and he happens to win the ACC and or make a playoff within the next two years. Right, and that would mean he beats Clemson. Yes, yes. So um, not only beats Clemson, but then beats everybody else and doesn't uh, fall backwards after doing so. So quick rundown, Bip. We we gave our top three for both pleasant and not so pleasant. On the pleasant side, for, for each conference, um, who were some of the who were the teams that stood out to you specifically from that conference that did a better job than than you thought they would this year? Yeah, so um, the AAC, I had uh, Cincinnati. ACC, I mentioned I had Syracuse. Uh, Big Ten, I had your Northwestern Wildcats. Uh, Cats. Conference USA, (laughs) uh, I mentioned that I had UAB. Independence, I mentioned Army. Uh, MAC, I went with Buffalo. Mount West, Utah State. Pac-12, as you mentioned, Washington State. SEC, as you mentioned, Kentucky and the Sun Belt. I had Georgia Southern. Okay, yeah, and and again, my criteria here was, I mean, there were a lot of teams that were you saw them crick the top twenty five, and you're thinking, okay, that's really cool, it's really neat. But there were some teams at the beginning of the year I thought that they were on the verge, they were on the cusp. So what I went was with teams who maybe made a bowl or were on the 500 side or better. And I didn't expect them to be. So I talked about Kentucky from the sec 
Syracuse from the ACC and Washington State from the Pac-12. But other conferences, I went with Baylor from the Big 12. They finished 7-6 and six this year. Uh, good job by Matt Rule. The AAC, I also had Cincinnati. That 11-win year was uh, outstanding for Luke Fickle and his team, and, and they were fairly young, so they've, they've got a lot coming back next year too. Big 10, I did go with my Northwestern Wildcats. Conference USA, I chose Florida International. Butch Jones did a good job. Uh, some didn't think that they may have made a bowl this year, but they went 9-4. and four. I took EMU from the MAC, the Eagles from Ypsilanti. They went 7-6 and six this year. Congrats to Coach Creighton and his boys. From the Mount West Conference, I took Hawaii simply because Hawaii was looking like a team that may not have won more than a, a couple games this year, and they finished 8-6 and six, uh, off the mainland. Independence, Army is a very good pick, but I, I thought that they would be a 9- or 10-win team this year given their schedule and given what they had. So I went with Liberty, who finished 6-6. Six and six. Um, and then Lafayette from the Sunbelt Conference, they went 7-7, seven and seven, which doesn't sound like an outstanding record, but they lost their last two games, which included the conference championship and then the bowl game against Tulane. So they finished their season 7-5, and five, winning that division of the Sunbelt when, when other teams or when other people thought that other teams would have done that. How about the disappointments, Pip? Well, I went through and had uh, Navy uh, in the AAC. Uh, ACC, yep. I mentioned Louisville. Uh, Big Ten, um, outside of Wisconsin, I was really surprised at how uh, Nebraska started off the season, even though they, they finished it on, on more of a, a positive note, uh, but that kind of shocked me. Big 12, can't believe how much uh, TCU fell flat on their face. Um, mm-hmm. Conference USA, Florida Atlantic, a stark difference compared to what they were last year. I really thought that Florida Atlantic would have been one of those teams that could have competed with UCF for best non-Power 5 team in the country. Independence. Um, This one was a tough one. I I went with BYU. I thought after they had beaten Wisconsin at the beginning of the year, I thought that bigger things were on the horizon, but I believe they only finished at seven and five. Um, In the MAC, I went with Toledo, uh, Mount West. I went with San Diego State. Pac-12, I really wasn't surprised with anyone other than Washington State. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Arkansas out of the SEC and in the Sun Belt, uh, Georgia State. Yeah, we we hit on a lot of the same ones there for our disappointments. I I went with Florida State and the ACC, although Louisville, you could make a good argument for them Mm -hmm. too. Uh, I agree with you. Navy out of the AAC, three wins for Ken Niamatololo. I mean, that that was really a head scratcher this season. So uh, hopefully, I I really like Navy. Hopefully, they turn it around next year. Yeah, I really like seeing the the, um, Army, Navy, Air Force. When they're competitive, it's always fun to watch. It's irritating if they're playing against you, but fun football to watch. And so, yeah, it was unfortunate to see um, Navy uh, fall so short this year when they've been so strong over the last 15 years. Yeah. Uh, Big 10, I went with Michigan State simply because they were a team that I thought could give some fits to Michigan and Ohio State, but they really were fortunate to make a bowl this season. They finished seven and six. Um, they That offense is just rancid. Defense was one of the best in the country, but they proved that you you can't just be a good defensive team. And I don't know what the heck happened to Brian Lewerke this season. We're still looking for. Yeah, him. you figure that Michigan State was one step behind or one step away from holding open tryouts for uh, playing quarterback this year because their quarterback play from anyone that stepped into the position was just garbage. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, another, another situation similar to necessary roughness. Great movie. If you've never seen it, by the way, uh, conference USA, I agree, Florida Atlantic. And in fact, I originally, I had them as my number three biggest disappointment, but then I had to go with Louisville and put them in there. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, you look at, um, Lane Kiffin was pretty much all but packed to get out of FAU and go to the next best thing. But when they had that stinker of a campaign this year, I think that people have put the brakes on him for at least another year or two. So, um, and Big 12, Kansas State, they, I thought that they would make a bowl, especially even before the year began. You kind of thought that this was going to be one of the last seasons for Bill Snyder, but they finished five and seven. So it was disappointing to see that. Independence, I agree. BYU, um, you know, seven and five isn't a terrible record, but after you win at Wisconsin and you're ranked for the first time in a while and they had some talent for them to drop some of the games that they did down the stretch was um, not good to see. In the MAC, I hate to say it, but our CMU Chippewas at 1-11, I thought that they would be good for at least three or four wins, but their offense was bad. Their defense was not very good. Um, unfortunately, their coach lost the job, but you know maybe brighter things in the future. And I, I blame it on the mustard yellow uniform. <laughs> yeah, and I was going to say, unfortunate to go one and eleven. I never wish uh, firing upon anyone, but um, right. you know, bright spot to come out of it. Jim McElwain is one of the probably the highest profile coach that uh, CMU has ever hired. So. Go chips. Right. Yep. Yep. That's right. And we didn't have to resort to getting Butch Jones back. Yeah. Right. So. <laughs> he was good when he was there, but uh, I think he's he's gone with the tide. Mm-hmm. No pun intended. Mm-hmm. Um, Mountain West. I agree. San Diego State. They made a bowl, but they lost the bowl game. They finished seven and six. I thought that they would be a little bit higher than what they were. Um, USC, I said, out of the Pac-12. SEC, I went with South Carolina because there were some teams that were saying that South Carolina, this was going to be their year. Will Muschamp was going to take the SEC East because people didn't give a lot of credit to Florida. They were unsure about Georgia or thought that that could be a game that they stumble on earlier in the year. Uh, so I went with the the Gamecocks there. And then I also went with Georgia State out of the Sun Belt Conference. So uh, a lot of a lot of agreement there. Um, and good talk. Yeah. Though. Yeah. Another, uh, another great podcast, um, wrapping up the, the 2018 season. And as we look forward to 2019 season, um, one of the things that we'll be getting into on the, the next show is, a an early look at, uh, our way too early top 25 polls, um, which will, well, let me let me stop you there. It's never way too early. It may be it may be early, but I always I always get upset when people say way too early. I mean, here we are. We're spending a couple hours on a Sunday night talking about college football. So obviously, it's not way too yeah, early. Well, and we need to make sure that we put an asterisk next to our our early poll because with as many. Uh, uh, college athletes that are in the transfer portal that it seems right now, it may be a complete shuffle around of talent from school to school when all is said and done before spring camp starts up. Yeah, I might put my name in there just to see what kind of interest I get. Even if it's a lot of rejections, it'll still be cool to uh, to see my name out on Twitter there that uh, I'm one of 964 people in that portal. Yeah, yeah it'll, <laughs> it'll at least be nice to be retweeted so much. Sure, right. So... Well, that does it for the two of us. Bip, thanks again for your time. It's always a pleasure. We love doing this. And what we need is is for you guys listening to continue to download us, listen to us, spread the word. Um, again, this is Bowl Full of Chips. I am 
Chappie at champion underscore lit. And he is BIP at BFC underscore BIP. That's B-I-P. So give us a follow. Give us a listen. BIP, till next time. We'll see you, see brother. You later, brother.